Hey everyone, this is Mike DeBliss. This is an update on the willfulness requirement for FBAR reporting. The topic is that the District Court of Connecticut expands the scope of the willfulness requirement. Essentially what happened here is that there is a new U.S. District Court case out of Connecticut that has zeroed in on the definition of willfulness for purposes of applying the more stringent penalties for failure to file an FBAR. The name of the case is U.S. versus Garrity, and it was decided again by the District Court of Connecticut um, uh, very recently um, in 2018. In the case, the United States District Court of Connecticut ordered that in advancing to the next phase of trial, the IRS has to prove the elements of its FBAR penalty claim only by a preponderance of the evidence as opposed to uh, clear and convincing evidence and that the IRS can satisfy its burden to prove willfulness by showing reckless conduct by the taxpayer as opposed to intentional conduct. So we will deconstruct that and get into the weeds, so to speak. But first, um, let me give you a brief history of the FBAR. Backing into this, um, FBAR stands for Foreign Bank Account Report. It's a tool used by the U.S. government and the Treasury to identify individuals who may be using foreign financial accounts to break U.S. law. Information contained in FBARs is vital to the IRS because it can be used to identify or trace funds used for illegal purposes or to identify unreported income maintained or generated abroad in a foreign bank account. Contrary to popular belief, the FBAR is not technically required by the Internal Revenue Code. Instead, it's a creature of the Bank Secrecy Act. The Bank Secrecy Act, believe it or not, has been in existence since the 70s. So the FBAR has been in existence since the 70s as well. It's only been since post 9-11-2001 uh, that the powers that be have begun enforcing the FBAR. Uh, prior to then, uh, prior to that time, the FBAR, while it was on the books, was not being enforced by uh, the IRS. So it's um, a tool um, as I mentioned before, that is used by the U.S. government to identify or trace funds used for illegal purposes or to identify unreported income that is maintained or generated abroad. It's um, uh, the FinCEN, which is um, the agency that actually publishes the form, is separate and apart from the IRS. It's a different agency under the Department of Treasury. However, the IRS is the enforcement uh, arm of the uh, FBAR reporting. So once an obscure um, form that was in the Bank Secrecy Act, the FBAR was first instituted as a reporting requirement for U.S. persons with overseas accounts. Today, um, as I mentioned, the IRS has breathed new life into the FBAR as a tax enforcement and revenue-raising tool. The IRS has been administering and enforcing the FBAR since 2003. Um, what's interesting about the FBAR is that 
the penalties that it carries are, for, are, are far more greater than the interest that is uh, generated by most of these foreign bank accounts. And it's for that reason and that reason alone that the Department of Treasury and the IRS takes a very uh, keen interest in enforcing the FBAR um, because of the uh, potential to, uh, you know, to fill the coffers of the Treasury uh, with penalties that come from failure to report foreign bank accounts or for underreporting of um, foreign bank accounts. The FBAR rule states that a U.S. person must file an FBAR if that person has a financial interest in or signature authority over any financial account outside of the U.S. and the aggregate maximum value of the account exceeds $10,000 at any time during the calendar year. If we deconstruct the rule, we arrive at six elements. First, that the person has to be a U.S. person, uh, usually U.S. citizen or a U.S. resident. Second, that the person has to have a financial interest in or a signature authority over. Three, any financial account outside of the U.S., uh, which we collectively refer to as a foreign financial account. Four, that the aggregate maximum value of the accounts, five, exceeds $10,000 U.S., six at any time during the calendar year. So essentially what we're saying here is that any foreign bank account that tips over $10,000 U.S. at any given time during the calendar year triggers an FBAR. Now when we're dealing with foreign bank accounts, obviously we're dealing with foreign currency. So the foreign currency has to be um, has to be transferred into U.S. currency denomination in order to determine whether it exceeds the $10,000 threshold. And so the currency exchange rate that is used to determine whether the highest uh, balance in the foreign account exceeds $10,000 U.S. is the currency exchange rate in effect as of the last day of the tax year. And to just simplify things, that would be December 31st. The other thing that gets a little bit complicated when it comes to FBAR reporting is that you could have a number of foreign bank accounts that all of which had a high watermark balance of less than $10,000. So let me give you a quick and dirty example. Suppose you have three foreign bank accounts that had high watermark balances of $9,000 at uh, various points during the tax year. One would think that because none of them exceeded the $10,000 U.S. threshold that there was no need to file an FBAR, but that is incorrect because the fourth element of the rule states aggregate maximum value. By aggregate maximum value, the IRS means that it requires the, the adding of those high watermark balances. So even though no one account exceeds $10,000 alone, the fact that all three of them um, add up to $27,000 and the $27,000 is um, is 
$17,000 greater than the maximum um, threshold of $10,000, that means that all three accounts would have to be disclosed and reported on an FBAR. So before you get excited thinking that um, it's not necessary to report any of your foreign bank accounts because the high balance um, of none of them exceeded 10000 recall the aggregate maximum value rule, which requires you to add the highest balance in each account up. And to the extent that the highest balance, or to the extent that the aggregate balance exceeds $10,000, the $10,000 threshold, then all of the accounts must be reported on an FBAR, even though, even though no single account alone exceeds the $10,000 threshold. I know that that's a mouthful, but that is a trap that usually ensnares many um, taxpayers. Now, it goes without saying that these elements that I've just rattled um, down are legal terms of art with precise meanings. They cannot be interpreted according to the everyday meanings that we give them, no matter how familiar they might sound. So when in doubt, always consult with a tax professional on, um, on whether an FBAR, whether FBAR reporting applies to you. FBAR penalties. Uh, this is what I want to move on to next to give you a little overview of um, FBAR penalties. So, what are the penalties for failure to file an FBAR? First, contrary to popular belief, an FBAR violation doesn't automatically mean that a penalty will be asserted. That is one of the biggest um, misconceptions about FBAR violations. The fact that an FBAR should have been filed but wasn't does not automatically guarantee the assessment of an FBAR penalties, uh, of an FBAR penalty. Examiners are expected to exercise their discretion when determining whether to assert a penalty. In doing so, they have to consider the facts and circumstances of each case. For example, the examiner may decide that the facts of your case don't warrant the assertion of a penalty. In that case, the examiner might issue an FBAR warning letter, which is like a slap on the wrist warning you not to make the same mistake again. To the extent that the examiner determines that an FBAR penalty is warranted, there are two types. The first is a non-willful uh, um, willful penalty, and the second is a willful FBAR penalty. Both types of penalties have varying upper limits but no floor. For example, the maximum non-willful FBAR penalty is $10,000, and I should specify that that is per account. The maximum willful FBAR penalty, on the other hand, is far greater than the maximum non-willful FBAR penalty. It is the greater of A, $100,000, or B, 50% of the closing balance in the foreign account as of the last day for filing the FBAR. So as you can imagine, when we get into willful territory with a failure to file an FBAR, the penalties are a lot more stiff than when it comes to non-willful FBAR penalties. Um, I should also mention that um, the Obama, um, the Obama uh, health care bill 
that was passed, uh, I believe two years ago, um, had a clause in it that changed the date for FBAR reporting. Um, and it changed the date to FBAR reporting to be the same date as the date for filing your, um, your income tax return, and which is April 15th, of course. Uh, this year it was April 17th. To the extent, however, that you do not file the FBAR by April 17th, an automatic extension is granted. So if you are beginning to panic, uh, because you're listening to this podcast and you just heard me say that April 17th was a deadline for filing your 2017 FBAR, don't fret. You can still get the FBAR filed timely, uh, but you want to get on it right away. Uh, you do not have to formally request the extension. The extension is automatic. So let's discuss this term willfulness. Willfulness is a necessary element not only of tax crimes, but also of the willful civil FBAR penalty. In the IRS's Internal Revenue Manual, the IRS suggests that the term willful should carry the same meaning as in the criminal context, and then it cites the definition that willfulness is given in the criminal context, and that is an intentional violation of a known legal duty. Again, um, these are legal terms of art with very precise meaning. And so while this is merely a seven-word phrase, it is not as easy to interpret it in seven words. As a matter of fact, there is an enormous body of case law that has uh, been uh, wrestling with this issue of intentional violation of a known legal duty for many, many years. Um, and so, as you can imagine, things are very blurry and very gray when it comes to the law, and uh, this definition of willfulness is no different. However, courts have generally rejected the stricter intentional violation threshold used in the criminal context and instead employed a broader reckless violation threshold for FBAR penalty violations. The difference being, of course, that in the criminal context, uh, willfulness has a heightened, um, has a heightened and stricter um, uh, threshold because at the end of the day, the individual risks losing their liberty if they're convicted of tax evasion or of failure to file an FBAR. Whereas in the civil context, the punishment is fines and penalties. And while these fines and penalties can be quite uh, severe and can, um, you know, can cause the taxpayer to lose the shirt off their very back, the fact of the matter is that there is no potential for the deprivation of liberty. And uh, that's why the reckless violation threshold is, um, is generally uh, the one that is applied by courts in the civil FBAR violation context. According to the Internal Revenue Manual, the IRS uses the following standard when determining whether willfulness exists for FBAR reporting. First, the only thing that a person needs to know is that he had an FBAR reporting requirement. Second, if the person had that requisite knowledge, the only intent, meaning mindset, that the person needed to constitute a willful violation of the requirement is a conscious choice not 
to file the FBAR. That last phrase, conscious choice not to file the FBAR, is critical. In legal circles, it is known as the theory of willful blindness. So, under the theory of willful blindness, a jury may infer willfulness whenever a taxpayer intentionally fails to inquire and learn about his or her filing obligations. In other words, instead of proving that the defendant intentionally violated a known legal duty, the government need only show that the defendant consciously avoided any opportunity to learn what the tax consequences were. That uh, language comes right out of an Eighth Circuit case called U.S. versus Bussey, B-U-S-S-E-Y, that get cited time and time again by the IRS. By willful blindness and um, you know by this language conscious choice not to file an FBAR, um, uh, consciously avoiding any opportunity to learn what the tax consequences were, if we could boil this down to its essential ingredients, what we would be saying here is that the individual suspected that there was um, that the FBAR applied to him, but instead of digging deeper to uh, to uh, find out whether it did in fact apply to him or whether this was just um, pure speculation on his part, the individual dug his head into the sand like an ostrich and purposely remained ignorant or deliberately ignorant in the face of knowing that this FBAR requirement potentially applied to him. And um, I realize I said reducing it to its bare terms and I went off on a tangent. But again, if you remember the, the ostrich example whereby the person has basically dug his head in the sand to avoid learning more about the FBAR because he fears that it applies to him, that is what we mean by the theory of willful blindness. And so just to circle back again, um, to re-emphasize what two requirements are necessary for proving willful blindness in the civil FBAR context. First, the only thing that the person need know is that he had an FBAR reporting requirement or that the FBAR uh, potentially applied to him. And second, if the person had that um, base knowledge the only intent or state of mind needed to constitute a willful violation of the FBAR requirement is a conscious choice not to file the FBAR. And again, this is known as the theory of willful blindness. I'd like to give you two examples that demonstrate situations in which willfulness may exist for the purposes of, of asserting the civil FBAR penalty. In our first example, um, we're dealing with a taxpayer named Jill. She has a foreign bank account. She admits knowledge of but fails to answer the question on Schedule B of her tax return concerning whether she has an interest in a foreign account. When asked, Jill does not have a reasonable explanation for failing to answer the question and for failing to file the FBAR. A determination that the violation was willful may be appropriate. Now, I preface this example by stating that 
the mere fact that the person checked the box off in question in the question on schedule B as no and that question if you're not familiar with it asks the taxpayer directly point blank do you have an interest in a foreign financial bank account the mere fact that the taxpayer checks the box off no does not hook line and sinker mean that they were willful and that they are ineligible for streamlined or for um, one of the um, you know or for the streamlined program which uh, as its uh, prerequisite requires the taxpayer to make a non-willful certification however it still can be very damning especially if it was repeated year after year after year um, and uh, without the uh, without the tax return being amended and without the taxpayer filing delinquent FBARs if it's a pattern of continuous um, of continuous behavior then it tends to veer um, veer more towards the um, more towards the spectrum of uh, where the more towards the spectrum of willfulness than it does non-willfulness in the second example, the taxpayer is Jack. Jack has a foreign bank account that he's failed to report. He received a warning letter informing him of the FBAR filing requirement. Notwithstanding that, he continues to fail to file an FBAR in subsequent years. When asked, Jack does not provide a reasonable explanation for failing to file the FBAR. To make matters worse, Jack fails to report income associated with the foreign account. A determination that the violation was willful would be appropriate. Um, and so, while uh, getting back to that first example, while uh, checking the box off no in response to the question, do you have an interest in a foreign bank account, does not, um, does not uh, decisively mean that you were willful, um, it is still... Um, a very difficult hurdle to overcome, especially if it was repeated continuously over a period of years, and especially if we're dealing with a high uh, balance in the foreign account of uh, six figures or seven figures. Um, that tends to suggest or uh, provide a presumption in the mind of the IRS that there was some shady business going on because um, you know because we're dealing with an excessive amount of money that's been parked overseas and um, couple that with the fact that the interest income from the foreign account wasn't uh, reported on the tax return that turns into a recipe for disaster so what I did was I gave you three damning factors um, that could definitely um, could definitely tilt uh, could definitely uh, force the needle to um, to veer more towards the side of the spectrum that suggests willfulness than the side of the spectrum that suggests non-willfulness. Now we get to the Garrity case. In the Garrity case, the government filed an action in district court to collect an outstanding civil FBAR penalty from the estate of Mr. Garrity. Mr. Garrity had died back in 2008. In a preliminary decision there, the court held 
that the IRS only had to prove that Mr. Garrity failed to timely file his 2015 FBAR by a preponderance of the evidence rather than by the higher clear and convincing evidence standard. So by evidence standards, we have three, the lowest of which is preponderance of the evidence. It then moves up to clear and convincing evidence. And then the third evidential standard is beyond a reasonable doubt. And um, as you can imagine, beyond a reasonable doubt applies in the criminal context because we are dealing with the potential loss or deprivation of an individual's liberty. And to that extent, when you're dealing with the potential loss of a person's liberty interest, beyond a reasonable doubt is the evidential standard. The court also held in Garrity, uh, that consistent with the more recent FBAR rulings, that in order to show willfulness on Mr. Garrity's part, the IRS need not prove that he committed an intentional violation, rather a showing of reckless conduct was sufficient. These broader interpretations have basically sent shockwaves through the uh, FBAR community. Um, the, basically what the district court has, um, has done is make an unwelcome a development or what the district court has created is an unwelcome development for future delinquent taxpayers facing potential FBAR penalties. Now, failure to uh, file an FBAR does not mean that you are, that there's nothing that can be done to correct it. The IRS has programs in place that are designed to blunt the harsh impact of FBAR penalties. The Streamline program is um, one of the most popular programs that the IRS rolled out and that it expanded uh, for more taxpayers to be eligible for a couple of years ago. That program is still in existence. The Offshore Voluntary Disclosure Program remains in existence today. However, it's going to be rolled back and it will no longer be in existence um, after September. Um, so OVDP is usually um, designed for those cases where the willfulness element is very weighty in, um, against the taxpayer. And uh, to the extent that there is any doubt in the taxpayer's mind that the, um, that the factors tip in favor of willfulness, OVDP would be the safer uh, program. Streamlined is specifically designed for those taxpayers whose failure to file an FBAR was, non, uh, was non-intentional. And as a result, um, it, a non-willful certification has to be completed as part of a streamlined submission under uh, penalties of perjury. Before making this very difficult decision of which program to um, apply to, I strongly recommend a risk assessment being performed by a tax professional. Um, a risk assessment basically will help determine what program you qualify for and whether you satisfy the requirements of one or more of these programs before going through the painful and arduous process of applying and then learning later on that um, you are ineligible. And the ramifications of being found ineligible for Streamline, for example, 
are dire because if found ineligible, you are unable to transition or to um, apply to OVDP. It's um, basically um, you know a one or nothing. Um, zero-sum game. So it's very important to know in advance which program you apply for because there is no second bite at the apple. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out for me. Uh, my email is mjdebliss at deblisslaw.com.